How many sense hope in this place today? Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Hey, it's my delight to share with you a few moments today. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new, and we're just so delighted that you're here today. You know, it's been said that human beings can live 60 days without food, and human beings can live four days without water. You can live about three minutes without breathing oxygen. But someone said that you can't live a moment without hope in your heart. And I believe that hope is the way God designed us. And this morning we're going to talk about the hope of Easter. I want us this morning to look at how when we see Jesus, we find hope. And I'm going to show you what that looks like in a moment. John chapter 20 is the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's the biblical account of the Easter story. Now, John was the author of this gospel. You'll find it in the New Testament of your Bible. And John was a close follower and friend of Jesus Christ. And he gives an account of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and tells the story as he was close to Jesus of what Jesus did in his ministry. And he was there as an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. And so this is where, again, we find the Easter story according to the Bible. And so let me just start this morning with a, with a question. And here's the question. How many people are hoping, and I just want to reiterate this because it's worth it here in Calgary. How many people are hoping for a Stanley Cup victory this year? As Pastor Tim was praying for. Tomorrow night, it's game three, right, Tim? Game three against Anaheim Ducks. And how many know the Ducks are dead ducks tomorrow night? How many believe that? <laughs> Hey, we've all come here with all kinds of hopes this morning. We're hoping for different things in life, aren't we? Isn't that true? A lot of people here, maybe you're hoping, you know, for that vacation that's coming up this summer and you're getting excited about it or you're hoping that you can save enough money to take a vacation. Some of you, you know, you kind of got your eye on that guy or that girl and you're kind of hoping that either they'll ask you out or they'll say yes if you ask them out. And uh, some of you are hoping to maybe make, make some new friends this morning, or maybe you're just here to re-engage in this Easter story because something grabbed you or somebody invited you to be here today. So we're all hoping. We've come with, with hopes this morning. And so um, some of you, I know that probably one of your biggest hopes this morning, if you could be really honest, you're going, okay, preacher, I'm hoping your message is not too long. How many of you just be really honest? You're just like, I want to get out of here. I feel it from my wife in the front row because we have a turkey in the oven this afternoon. So she's like, I hope you don't preach very long today. And I said, I'll do my very, very best. But that kind of reminded me, okay, I'll read this story. Here we go. Uh, found this on the internet, so it's probably true. Um, <laughs> one Easter, a pastor and a taxi driver both died and they went to heaven. So St. Peter was at the pearly gates and He's waiting for them. He says, come with me. And so St. Peter took the taxi driver along this path, and he followed him up to this beautiful mansion. The taxi driver looked inside and goes, man, this place is amazing. It had everything from a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized swimming pool. The taxi driver said, wow, this is amazing. Do I really deserve this? And St. Peter said, enter into your rest. He said to the pastor, keep following me. They went down the road further and took the pastor down an old beaten path, and he led him to a rough old shack. And inside there was a bunk bed, there was a beat up couch, a black and white TV, 
wait, said the pastor, I think you may have made a mistake here. Shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion? I mean, after all, I was the pastor. I went to church every Sunday. I preached God's word to God's people. And St. Peter, he said, well, that is true, he said, but uh, here's the thing. He said, during your Easter sermons, everybody fell asleep. And he says, when the taxi driver drove, everybody prayed. So... He gets the mansion. <laughs> so whatever it is this morning, if you're hoping that I'll preach short, I'm going to do my very best, okay? So just uh, pray for a brother right now. And here we go. John chapter 20. I'm going to read the scripture, and you can follow along on the screens. John chapter 20. On, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran, and she found Simon Peter, And the other disciple. Now, I see some humor in the Bible, and maybe you'll see this as well. The other disciple, by the way, is John. He's writing about himself. Now, look what he says here. He says, then the one that Jesus loved. (laughs) Simon Peter was there, and me, John. He loved me more than everybody else. And so Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, so she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put it. So it gets better here. So Peter and the other disciples, they started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But look at this. But the other disciple outran Peter, (laughs) and he reached the tomb first. I mean, do you think John was a little bit competitive? He's like, I want everybody to know in the canon of Scripture throughout all history, I was faster than Peter. I could beat him in any kind of race, you know? So here he goes. Verse 5, he stooped down, and he saw that the linen wrappings were lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. He noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, and then the disciple who reached the tomb first, he also went in and he saw and believed. I want to stop right there. I want you to know that that's been my prayer this week, that this Easter, that each one of us would anew see and believe, or maybe even for the first time in your life, that you would be open to seeing this resurrected Christ and and believing in him today, that you would see as these disciples did, to see and believe. Verse 9, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead, and then they went home, and Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and she looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. I don't don't know where they've put him. And she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. And it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. "Uh, Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. And sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him, and she cried out. Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have, there it is again, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them this message. We just pray with me for a moment this morning. God, on this Easter Sunday, we want to see Jesus I pray, God, open our eyes to see you, that we would have such hope well up in our hearts. God, I thank you, Lord, today 
There are many people here that are walking through some challenges, some hopeless situations. I, I thank you, God, we've come today knowing that you are the source of hope, that you love us, you, you died for us. And God, I pray that you would work miracles in every life today for your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I believe that's in, in the human heart. I think that's the way that God created us. He, he's made us as creatures with, with a sense of hope that we would, you know, we would always be, be hoping for, for more and, and hoping for a better day. But, you know, the reality is in life is our hopes can be dashed at times by life circumstances. We can find ourselves losing ground with hope uh, quite quickly in our lives. There are things that happen. You know, we, maybe we've lost a job or we don't have employment or something's taking a long time. Maybe it's a physical ailment or sickness in our body and we're just like, I hope one day I'll be able to be healed or cured of this disease or this challenge. Or maybe we have in our relationships, we, we, we have our hopes uh, dashed because we get in, involved in a relationship or we're involved in maybe even in our marriages. We had hoped it would be a certain way and then there, there's some challenges that arise or there's some hard times or there's some financial challenges and, and I hope that I would never be this far in debt. And, I, and so we can, we can lose hope uh, so quickly in life. We, we can find ourselves in dis, discouraged and in, in a hopeless situation and and even when it comes to loved ones, and when we lose loved ones, we have an incredible sense of hopelessness. Even if it's momentary, we lose a loved one, a relative, a friend, and there's a deep sense of hopelessness at times that we can wrestle with as human beings. And this is just the reality. But the reality is here today, as we look at Scripture, we see these disciples, and they had they had come, these women had come early. Now, Easter morning, Jesus uh, had, had, had been, uh, the week before, he, he had been praised and, and worshipped. And, and if you would have been here last Sunday, we talked about that on Palm Sunday, where the people were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they thought Jesus was coming to, to be the king, to be the deliverer of the people of Israel, to be the king of the Jews. And, and he was going to take care of, of, of everybody, Caesar and Pilate and, and all these guys. He was going to set everything in order and he was going to be the king. And so they, they shouted out, Hosanna, Jesus, save us now. And he even rode on the back of a donkey, which, which was very represent, representative of how a king would enter a city and, and on horseback. And, and so they, they said, clearly Jesus then is is our king. And so then they had seen everything change. Just seemed like it all kind of fell apart. All their hopes in Jesus all of a sudden started crashing and burning around them. And now Jesus was being betrayed by one of his, his disciples. And, and now he was being dragged before the Sanhedrin and before the courts and the religious courts. And, and now he was being uh, now brought from court to court. And, and now he was being abused and mocked. And, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And, and they mocked Jesus. And now he was being pushed around from trial to trial. And nobody knew what to do with him. But the, the haters and the religious haters were, were upset because they said, there's no way this guy, he claims to be the king. And he, there's no way he can be. And they were upset. But Jesus Christ, they didn't understand his mission, that Jesus, his mission was to come and to willingly lay down his life as a sacrifice for everybody who would believe. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. And even his closest disciples, although Jesus said it, we read it this morning, he, they didn't still understand the fact that Jesus, even though he said to them, I, I need to suffer and I need to die. And the Old Testament 
is full of symbolic sacrifices where the people in the Old Testament, they had a sense of guilt and they had a sense that, that I, I, I'm not worthy of God, this God. And, and so they, they would bring their sacrifices and they would sacrifice on the altar these animals. And, and, but all of that, friends, was just foreshadowing. It was just a picture that one day they brought their lambs in the Old Testament. One day God would provide the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, the Son of God, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely unified, three persons in one, that God so loved the world that he would send his only Son, Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time to be that second chance for humanity, that first Adam, the first Adam. He was the one that was in the garden, and God made him in relationship, and then from that place disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, and, and then sin entered the world. That, uh, I don't even know if that, maybe that was the time that the earth tipped sideways, but everything tipped sideways, and, and, and sin entered the world, and hatred entered the world, but Jesus came at the fullness of time because God had a plan, even from the garden. And when you read the Bible, the whole Bible is about Jesus. If you want to read the Bible, don't just read it as a history book. or If you see Jesus and you ask God, show me Jesus, you will see him from the garden in the beginning all the way through the whole scriptures. All the scriptures speak of Jesus. And the Bible says that in the fullness of time, God would send his perfect son to be a sacrifice and that he would willingly lay down his life as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, as the second Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. Isn't that beautiful? The first Adam, we're, we are all uh, affected by, by his sin and his disobedience, but in the fullness of time, God sent the second Adam, Jesus, to make everything right. So Jesus was on a mission, but people around him, they didn't notice. They, they were feeling discouragement. They, were, they, they had all these hopes for Jesus, but, but Jesus was not doing how doing life the way they thought he should do life he was not fulfilling what they thought he should fulfill but jesus friends was on a mission and he came to lay down his life as a sacrifice but you can imagine though that day they had just seen jesus then carry his cross to the hill called golgotha the skull and to die on a cross a roman cross between two criminals to die and and even Pilate saying, I, I, don't, I don't see any fault in this person. And they even, he, even Pilate said, well, let's send another person, Barabbas. And everybody said, no, no, we want Jesus to be crucified because of the religious hatred. But Jesus willingly then laid down his life as that sacrifice and died on the cross again between two thieves. They saw him die. They saw the nails go into his hands. They saw the nails go into his feet. They saw the Roman centurion take a spear and gouge it into the side of Jesus where blood and water flowed as he breathed his last and died on that cross. They saw him being hauled off of that cross and, and wrapped and taken to that place of the tomb and, and buried. Jesus was dead. And their hopes were dead completely dashed, and they were grieving, and they were hopeless on that Easter morning. But the women had come early to bring some spices to tend to the body. Even though they were hopeless and disappointed, these women came. But they discovered hope when they saw three things. And I believe this morning God's going to, by his grace, 
show you and me again afresh these three things. And as they saw these things, they begin to see hope. Let's look at these things together. First thing is they saw this. They saw where Jesus wasn't. That's right. They saw where Jesus wasn't. He wasn't in the tomb. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? And they looked and they said, Jesus, he's not here. They they looked in the tomb and, and, and they saw that that all that was left was some grave clothes. There, there was, Jesus' body was, was no longer in the tomb. It was empty. The tomb was completely empty. One of the things that marks the Christian faith is there is no burial place that you can find of its founder. <laughs> the tomb is empty, friends. It's still empty today. It's still empty today. You can go to any other religious leader and you can find their, their tomb and you can find their, their grave, but Jesus Christ, his grave is empty because he rose again. Christianity is the only faith movement that ties its origins back, not to a philosophy or to even a worldview so much as, or teachings of a, a particular religious leader, but all of our origins anchor back to this historic date of the resurrection where we believe as followers of Jesus that Jesus actually physically died, was physically buried, and was physically and actually resurrected from the dead. That's what we believe. And our whole faith hinges on the fact that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Now, I understand this morning we may have some people here and you have some different uh, beliefs and some other views. And I just want to say I'm just so amazed and and excited that you're here and that you would be open to consider uh, what we as followers of Jesus hold so dear, and that is that this resurrection actually took place and that Jesus actually, when they looked into the tomb, they had hope well up in their heart because he wasn't there. And so some people say, well, you know, maybe Jesus, you know, he didn't uh, actually die. Maybe there's theories out there, and some religions even teach that Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of swooned on the cross. You know, he he, they put him in a tomb, and, and even after all, you know, uh, the, the, the whippings and the cat of, you know, nine tails, the lashes, he had 39 lashes, Roman lashes upon his body. Do you know that they believe that as you hit 40, that the person would actually die from the whipping alone? But they, they, had, they whipped Jesus just shy of 40, and they gave him 39 lashes, and he was, and he was so already beaten and abused. By the time he went to the cross, and they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And there's no way that he could have just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, got into the grave and say, hey, you know, I just had a great sleep last night. Uh, I'm so glad that I had a, a great breakfast of unleavened cornflakes, uh, you know, the other morning. And I'm feeling some energy here. And I just want to push away that stone. And somehow like Superman or something, Jesus, you know, just kind of da da da. And, you know, he just felt better in the morning because, you know, he had such a good sleep. But some people actually believe that, you know, he just kind of, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uncommon even in the day of John. And that's why John even writes this eyewitness account, this gospel. John 20, 31 says, but these are written, look at this, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You see, John wrote this so that you and I would believe, just like these disciples and these, these ones that witnessed that empty tomb, that they saw where Jesus wasn't. He wasn't in his tomb, and their hearts begin to well up with hope. And so others say, well, what about grave robbers? Because, you know, that was pretty common back in the day, a famous person, uh, a grave robber. Somebody probably just took the, the body of Jesus, and, and, and uh, you know, some robbers took him. And, and so the problem with that is that 
there's a number of problems, but some of the problems are just the, 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 the weight of the stone that was guarded by Roman centurions. The other gospels show us that, that before the women arrived here in this gospel, that there were Roman soldiers there, and they were guarding the tomb. An earthquake came, and, and they, they were gone by this time. The tomb was empty. Uh, something happened. It, it was, it, you know, the ground began to shake, literally, as we sang before. And Jesus already had resurrected from the grave. By the time they found it, there's no way... That, that robbers could have been able to steal his body with, with guarded centurions in that place. There's also some other evidence that we see even in John. And this is a very interesting piece of John. And he provides us some amazing detail. And he talks about the fact that, that Jesus' body, when they stooped in and they looked and they saw his grave clothes, that his grave clothes were all in place. And there was a piece that was over his head that was actually folded together and separated from the rest of the grave clothes. So in other words, when they looked in, it would have appeared that Jesus' body literally just kind of came right through the wrapping. That, that the, the wrapping was all just in place the way they had it, and, the, and what was over his face then was neatly folded. What kind of grave robbers are these? that would come in and say, all right, guys, let's rob the body of Jesus. All right, I got a plan. Let's rob it. Okay, let's go in, push away the stone, get in there, all right, and let's take the body of Jesus. Hold on, before we go, we should probably clean up this place a little bit. It's a mess in here. This is incredible. And so the grave robbers would go, and they would put all the linens back the way, and then, you know, before we go, let's just fold that, just that headpiece, and let's just fold it over here. Very, okay, now that's great. Let's take a photo, you know, selfie, right, like that. Here we are in the grave. It's neat as a pin. It's just as neat as we came in, except minus the body. And so some of these things are, 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 are for our benefit that we would see some of these, uh, these proofs of the actual resurrection that Jesus was not there. And hope began to rise up in their hearts. There's hope for you and me today because of where he wasn't. Secondly, they had hope rise up in their heart because of where Jesus was. You know where he was? He was alive. Somebody say amen. He began to appear to people in, in the flesh. A resurrected body somehow, it's a mystery. We don't understand. It, it seems that people, right away, they didn't maybe recognize Jesus, but as they spent time with him, they, he was revealed to them somehow. But we know this wasn't a, a ghost. We know this wasn't just a, kind of a spiritual apparition. This was a physical body. Jesus began to appear to people and have conversations. And Mary Magdalene, as we read this morning, as he appears to her, and he has a conversation with her. Here's Mary, who was a follower of Jesus, a lady with a real messed up past, had a very, very sketchy history, had all kinds of things that she could be guilty of and shameful of in her past, but yet Jesus meeting with her in a resurrected form, real alive, his body. Now where Jesus was, he was alive. And, and that brought her hope, and it brought the others hope. And Mary, who, who had seven demons cast out of her, she was a mess before she met Jesus. But Jesus, even after he raises from the dead, he, he goes to Mary, this precious woman who he loved and cared for, and said, Mary, you don't have to live in the shame of your past anymore. There is hope for you. 
There is hope for you because I am alive. And I want to say to you this morning, doesn't matter what kind of mistakes you've made, doesn't matter what kind of decisions you've made, what kind of hurt that you've caused yourself or other people, the Bible calls that sin. What sin is is simply missing the mark. It's missing God's best for your life. And we all sin, the Bible says. Every one of us misses God's best. But that's why Jesus came to forgive us and to cleanse us so that we can be in relationship with him, that we could be more like him, that we could fall in love with him and walk with him. And so here's this beautiful picture picture of grace where Jesus meets Mary and and he says, listen, let's not let your past ever hold you back. But now there's hope because I'm alive. Listen, here I am. I'm right here. And he meets Mary. There's others that he encountered uh, that day. And there was some disciples on their way to a city called Emmaus. And Jesus came up and walked beside them. And as he walked beside them, they didn't recognize him right away either. But Man, how their hearts burned within them, the Bible says, as Jesus began to walk with them and talk with them and then unpack all of the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies about who he was, the Psalms and the prophecies and all these things from the Old Testament saying, listen, listen to me me about Isaiah. In Isaiah, this is what it says, and it's talking about me. This is what it says. In every one of the books of the Old Testament of the Bible, he began to unpack and say, this is how the Bible fits together. It's about me. And, and as they came to, to the end of the day, they, they sat down with them, and they shared a meal with them. And as they shared a meal with them, all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they realized, and they saw Jesus. And oh, how hope welled up within them. When they saw him, hope began to rise within their hearts. Jesus is alive, and oh, he showed himself to, to so many others, the disciples that day, and they were out fishing, and, and Jesus, they were discouraged, and they are just like, let's just forget about this whole disciple thing. Let's just go back, and let's be fishermen again. And they went off fishing, and they saw somebody on the shore, and there was a fire going, and, and they came closer, and they realized it was Jesus, and he had prepared a fire on the beach, and he was cooking fish, like Amazing, huh? How many are getting hungry for lunch right now? Hurry up, pastor. I'm getting hungry. Uh, fish and, and chips or whatever. And Jesus was hanging out with them. And, and, and Jesus, in his resurrected physical body, was actually eating pieces of fish. What kind of ghost can eat fish? And they're just looking at him like, this is Jesus. And Paul says that Jesus appeared to uh, so many people, 500 people even in, in one in one time. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he goes, and by the way, some of those eyewitnesses are still here. They're still alive if you want to go check with them. This is many years later where the, the resurrected body of Jesus, eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses that said, no, listen, not only did I hear about the grave being empty, I actually encountered the resurrected Christ myself. I talked to him. I ate fish with him. Uh, it's Jesus, friends. And I actually interacted. And the Bible says in, in, in the book of Acts, it shows us that over a period of about 40 days, Jesus came and he interacted with people in his physical resurrected body before then ascending to heaven. And as he, before he ascended, he told his disciples, he said, listen, he says, it's better for me. It's actually to your advantage now that I go away. You say, well, why isn't Jesus just walking around on earth today? He says, it's actually to your advantage if I go. One day he's coming back, the Bible says. He's coming back, and, and he will be that king and that ruler that the people were longing for and hoping for then, but it's going to blow their minds to the level that it's going to be. But Jesus is coming back as a mighty warrior. He's coming back. He's the lamb, and he's also the lion, friends. And he is coming back. To rule. And he's called us then to rule and to reign with him. What a beautiful and amazing thing. There's a lot of planets out there, people, so we got to be busy about following Jesus. He's got stuff for you to do. You're not just going to be sitting in heaven on a cloud playing a harp eating Philadelphia cream cheese. Get that out of your mind. It's not going to happen. There's too much work to do. 
Eye has not seen nor ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him, called according to his purpose, but it's been revealed to us in our spirit. We can, do you get that revelation today of how much God has for you and me? Man, they had hope when they found out where Jesus was, and they had incredible hope when they found out where Jesus was. He, he was alive. Later that Sunday afternoon, verse 19 of, of John 20, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. You see, there was so much rage. All these haters were hating. They were hiding from these Jewish leaders. They, they didn't know what to do. They had lost their, their, their Lord Jesus. They had lost Jesus. That He had died. He, it's over. Everything is gone. We're in a hopeless situation. And it says that they were hiding behind locked doors. Do you know that fear will hold you behind locked doors? Do you know that, that one of the things that the enemy wants to do is put you in a place of fear? But watch this. Watch what Jesus and how he handles fear. It says right here, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. We know from another portion later on in the scripture, we see that Thomas was there. And he was a guy with a lot of doubts. And he was one of the followers of Jesus. And he even, even when Jesus entered the room and says, look at my hands, look, he goes, I, I, I still am having a hard time believing that this is actually you. So if you have doubts this morning, don't worry. Some of the closest people to Jesus even had doubts of his resurrection because nobody had ever really seen somebody rise from the dead. But Jesus said, here's my hands, here's my side. He reached out. But listen, if you're locked in fear today, Jesus wants to come right into the middle of your fear and he wants to show himself. You can have hope in the middle of your fear and your pain because Jesus will reveal himself in the middle of it. And when you see him, you'll have hope. When you see that Jesus, sometimes he's even in the middle of your pain and your fear, but he brings a word of peace. And let that speak to you today, no matter what you're walking through, that Jesus says peace to you in the middle of your challenge. And he simply shows up. doesn't say that Jesus knocked on the door, rang the doorbell. He just came in. And Jesus, friends, can walk right through the walls of fear in your life today. Why? Because he's alive. He's alive. Finally, this morning, these disciples found hope, and we can find hope because they saw who Jesus is. He's the way. All of a sudden, it began to register. Oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. He had to suffer and die. Oh, he was actually going to physically raise from the dead. We thought that was some kind of cute parable, like he was telling us, you know, about all these other parables and these stories that Jesus was. We just kind of didn't know that that was actually going to happen. And now they're realizing that this Jesus, that he truly is Lord. And we can know today that Jesus is Lord. Jesus made some pretty audacious truth claims about himself. And the reality is, friends, is we just, we have to do something with it. Here's the thing. Jesus is not a fable or a fairy tale like Santa Claus or Frosty the Snowman or the Easter Bunny. Jesus is a real historical person. Every historian, every historian worth their salt will tell you and they will agree that there was a man named Jesus around 2,000 years ago that lived. His name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay? They will tell you that he died on a Roman cross. They will tell you that there was an empty grave. That is history. Lock that up. That's history. That's not for debate. Writers like Josephus and others, historians, Jesus existed. 
where everything hangs is on the resurrection. Did he rise from the dead? All of our faith as Christians hangs on that one historical event. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then man, we're wasting our time. Paul talks about this. He said, listen, he goes, hey, if Christ has not been raised, then all your preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty and you're in your sin. That's not very encouraging. You say, why do we have hope as Christians? Look at this, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and he's alive and we have hope. And wow, if Jesus actually rose from the grave, then that changes everything and it should change everything about our lives. Jesus is alive. And they found hope because they saw he is the real deal. All of a sudden they're going, Jesus was not fooling around. He's here. He's physically raised from the grave. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And we can discover hope this Easter because Jesus lives. He died on a cross for you and me. I'm going to call the children at this time. And they're going to sing one more song before we conclude today. But let me just say this this morning. This is what Easter is all about. Jesus, he came to die on the cross for the sins of mankind to make us all right, to give us a way, the way back to the Father. The only way, that's what he said. Man, I wish I could change that. Like I think, I wish I could say, Jesus is one of the great ways to get to God. But the problem is Jesus said he is the only way to get to the Father. And people say, well, that's narrow-minded. Well, it's not about a philosophy or a worldview. It's about a person. Hope is a person. And Jesus said, listen, it's narrow in the sense that he's the only way, but it's very broad in the sense that Jesus said it's so inclusive. He says it's for everybody. Whoever will can be saved. Scripture says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. He said, what do I have to do? What hoops do I have to jump through? You don't have to. It's about faith and believing, and it's about trust. It's about saying, God, I've been driving, and I'm in charge of my life, and Jesus, maybe you're even in the passenger seat or the back seat, or you're in another vehicle. But today you're saying, Jesus, I'm actually giving you the wheel. It's like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. That's the real deal. Like, she was onto some pretty good theology there, actually. Jesus, take the wheel. You're in charge. And it's surrendering your life and saying, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. It's laying down your life and surrendering. And, and, and it's trust because we think, well, what if I lay down my life to Christ? Will my life be lame now? Do I have to follow all these rules? Uh-uh. The old covenant has been broken. There's no more rules, no more regulations. Oh, yeah, we want to follow God and we want to honor the Ten Commandments and we want to honor the things in Scripture because of the great grace that he's given us. We want to live our lives in a way. And all God's rules, even in the Old Testament, they were just there because he loved us and he desired us to to live a life that is healthy and honoring to other people and that would honor him. So as we come and surrender our lives to Christ, we're just saying, God, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm right here where I am today and, and I surrender my life to you. And in the Bible, the altar is, is a picture of surrender and sacrifice and it's, a, it's a, a picture of worship. And worship says, God, you are the most worthy thing in my life. And so as the kids sing this song today, 
I want to encourage you just to consider where you are today. Where, where you are in your spiritual journey. And there might be some here today. I'm going to give you a chance in a moment to respond in prayer. If you today would like to surrender your life to Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer just in a moment. And there may be people here today and maybe you're far away from God or maybe you once walked with the Lord, but today you're like, I want to just surrender my life again to the Lord. Wherever you are today, uh, Jesus is calling and he sees you. And uh, let's just listen as the children sing and then I'll be back with a closing prayer and give you an opportunity to consider giving your life to Jesus and finding hope as you see.